The following lecture was delivered at the 15th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Atlanta, Georgia, a project of the Rohr Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Chase Taub now presents his lecture, To Know and to Care. Before the Rebbe's 90th birthday, a few weeks before the Rebbe's 90th birthday, it was a uh, Sunday dollars. I'm sure people are familiar with the iconic image of the Lubavitcher Rebbe standing for hours, greeting every single man, woman, and child who wants to meet him and giving them a dollar to give to tzedakah. So this was Chof Aleph Adr Tov Shinun Beis, 21st day of the month of Adr, 1991, spring of 91. Like I said, a few weeks before the Rebbe's 90th birthday. So among the thousands who were in the dollar line that day was a publisher and a philanthropist, businessman, from Toronto named Gabriel Aram, who published, still publishes, Lifestyles Magazine. Lifestyles Magazine, you're familiar with it. It's an executive magazine. It's not a Jewish magazine. It's for, you know, upwardly mobile type people. It's a certain niche magazine. And uh, so he was the publisher. And he gets to his turn in line, and he tells the Rebbe that in honor of the Rebbe's upcoming 90th birthday, Lifestyles Magazine is going to be running a feature article on, on the Rebbe. And they would like to know, what is the Rebbe's message in honor of or in anticipation of his 90th birthday milestone? So without missing a beat, the Rebbe says, 90 is tzaddik. In the Hebrew alphabet, every letter of the Aleph base has a numerical value. Aleph is one, base is two, and so on and so forth. So 90, the Rebbe's age at that point, or upcoming age, is equivalent to the Hebrew letter tzaddik. The letter's called tzaddik. Now, tzaddik is also a word. It means a righteous person. And it doesn't just mean a righteous person. By the way, the, the Rebbe says all of this in 30 seconds. I'm just filling it in because there's so much depth of meaning here. Tzaddik doesn't just mean a righteous person. Sometimes it's used colloquially. You know, like in Tanya, at the beginning of Tanya, he actually addresses this issue that sometimes in the Talmud, he uses the word tzaddik just to mean somebody who has 51% merits. Somebody who is... Who, who, does, who does more good than not good. And that's like sort of a colloquial use of tzaddik within the context of, you know, the, he says within the context of judgment. On judgment day, will a person be judged righteous or not righteous? So 51% is already good enough. He's called tzaddik. But the real term tzaddik is a it's not a term that we throw around loosely. Tzaddik, tzaddik means a holy person, a person devoted to righteousness, devoted to spirituality. A tzaddik is, is almost an otherworldly figure that walks among us. A tzaddik. So Gabriel Aram asks the Rebbe, what's his message for his upcoming 90th birthday? The, the Rebbe says that 90 is tzaddik. And the message, therefore, is, catch this, that everyone can be a tzaddik. So, here comes 
Gabriel Aram, and he's telling the Rebbe, we're writing a feature on you, on the Rebbe. We're putting the focus on you. We're making a big deal about you. Comes the Rebbe, flips the whole thing and says, not about me. Oh, but you're the tzaddik. No, 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 you are. And that reversal, to me, is emblematic of so much of what the Rebbe stood for. Maybe it is the essence, to me, in my humble estimation, maybe that's the essence of the Rebbe's entire worldview, is it's not about me, it's about you. You're calling me a tzaddik? Okay, yeah, but what about you? You're the tzaddik, too. Gabriel Aram at this point, by the way, he was a little bit disarmed, as you might imagine. So he modified the question, he, he or t attempted to clarify the question, and he said, okay, but what about for the non-Jewish world? Remember, Lifestyles is not a, not a Jewish magazine. So what's the message for the, the, the broader world? So again, without missing a beat, Zero hesitation. The Rebbe says, the same thing. Through their seven Noahide laws, every single human being can be a tzaddik. So I told you that that, I told you the date. Chafal of Adar, Tavshinun Beis, 21st day of the month of Adar, 5752 corresponding to 1992 in the secular calendar. And you know that Sunday dollars were Sunday. The very next day, Monday, the 22nd of other, the Rebbe was at the Eichel, at the resting place of his father-in-law where he would go to pray where he would bring all of the petitions for blessing that people sent him and, and read them. And while at the Eichel, the Rebbe suffered a stroke and did not, did not speak publicly again. So if we have anything like an ethical will or last will and testament, I think it could be argued that it's the message that every man, woman, and child, not only in the Jewish nation, but on this earth, can be the tzaddik. One of my favorite Yechidus stories, Yechidus means a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the Rebbe. One of my favorite Yechidus stories I'll tell you the punchline of it before I tell you the story, because the punchline is just so rich. There's a young man, Freddie Hager, from uh, London, England. He came out of Yechidus, three in the morning meeting with the Rebbe, and he says, I was not properly prepared for my meeting with the Rebbe. It was his first time meeting the Rebbe. He says, I was not properly prepared for my meeting with the Rebbe. I went in thinking I was going to meet a great man and I left realizing that I had met my true self. I went in thinking I was going to meet a great man. I left realizing I had met my true self. That's the punchline. So now I'll tell you the background. This young man, I think it was 22, 23, um, he meets the Rebbe, not at all a Lubavitcher, He'd fallen in with the Lubavitchers in, in London, and they dragged him along to a New York trip, and uh, he met the Rebbe. And in the Yechidus, the Rebbe asked him, based on his last name, if he's related to a certain Hasidic dynasty. If you know Hasidic mishpechology, you know that Hagar is a a royal name. There's a very large court, actually, Vizhnitz, which is a very large this, which the, the Rebbe's of Vizhnitz have that last name. And th those are relatives of Freddie Hager, but not direct. He's not a direct descendant from them. But 
he had a grandfather who was a Hasidic Rebbe back in the old country. And in fact, so when the Rebbe asked him, are you from that family? He said, yeah, actually, my grandfather was a Rebbe back in, in, in Europe. And I have a picture of him with me. So Freddie pulled out the photo of his grandfather. And the Rebbe took the photo and he held it up. Can you imagine this now? The Lubavitcher Rebbe is holding up a photograph of your grandfather who was a Hasidic Rebbe. And he's looking at the photo and he's looking at you. And he's doing a side-by-side -side comparison, right? Back and forth. I mean, that's intense enough that I was sizing you up. But here, the Rebbe's holding a picture of your holy grandfather, who was, in fact, an actual Hasidic Rebbe, and comparing the two side by side. <laughs> so the Rebbe asked Freddie, and interestingly, I'm not sure the reason for this. He says the whole Yechidus was in English, but at this point, the Rebbe switched to Yiddish. The Rebbe asked him, what is a Rebbe? What's a Rebbe? So he, he wasn't prepared, you know, what's a Rebbe? He, he just, nothing, he couldn't respond. So the Rebbe asked him a second time, what is a Rebbe? Again, he could not manage a response. So the Rebbe asked him a third time, what is a Rebbe? Again, a third time, no response. So finally the Rebbe answered the question. The Rebbe said like this, the Ash the Rebbe is Gvender the first Hasidic Rebbe was the Baal Shem Tov. Okay. Un alts was er hot gehat, hat er a weggegeben, verlegen sich schlafen. Everything he had, he would give it away on a daily basis before he would retire. Das is a Rebbe, that's a Rebbe. Eschert willst du werden a Rebbe, maybe you want to become a Rebbe. Now he had not come in for career counseling. <laughs> and certainly he did not expect to be suggested to become a Rebbe. That was not something he ever saw himself as suited for. And in fact, if you want to know what happened, he went on to become a very successful businessman. He was the president of the London Diamond Bourse. He made a lot of money. No shame in saying that. The man made a lot of money. He gave away a lot of money. He was a philanthropist. The question, the question that those who hear this story always ask is, what did the Rebbe mean by maybe you should become a Rebbe? What was he? Was it a joke? Was it cute? And why didn't Freddie seriously consider it? Or maybe he did seriously consider it. Maybe, maybe he looked into it, you know, go buy a fur hat, get a long silk coat, you go rent a, a storefront in Borough Park, maybe you hire some guy to hire you around to be your attendant. You can fear a tish, they'll bring out a big kugel. You know, do the whole, the whole thing, the whole Hasidic Rebbe gig. And the answer is, my answer, the answer that I'm comfortable with is that that whole question is based on a faulty premise of defining a Rebbe the way the world defines a Rebbe. But in the story itself, the Rebbe redefines the word Rebbe. So if you ask the question and answer it based on how the Rebbe defines Rebbe, the whole question changes, and so does the answer. So what did the Rebbe say? What's a Rebbe? A Rebbe isn't whatever Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines it as. A Rebbe isn't whatever you know, a New York Times article would define it as. Rebbe simply means a person who is actively giving away whatever they have. That's what it means. So if you know Aleph, teach Aleph. If, if you know Aleph base, teach Aleph base. Whatever you've got, give it away. Whatever you have in your Jewish home, give it away actively. And in fact, this is the secret, really. You want to know the secret? The Rebbe's secret of spiritual development and growth? 
The secret is the only Yiddishkeit, the only real Judaism that you truly possess is whatever Judaism you are currently actively giving away. So if you have it in your Jewish home, you give it away to others. If that's a Rebbe, that's the way my Rebbe defined Rebbe, then Freddie Hager absolutely did become a Rebbe as president of the London Diamond Bourse. But see, that's the, that's the novelty of my Rebbe, is that he had Rebbes who were philanthropists and businessmen. He had Rebbes who were school teachers. He had Rebbes who were cab drivers. But they were all Rebbes. Jonathan Sachs, all of a show, he formulated it. He said that there are good leaders who make followers, great leaders make leaders. The Rebbe was a great leader, he made leaders. I will go even further than that, I'll take more liberties. And I'll say according to the Rebbe's own definitions, the Rebbe didn't just make leaders, the Rebbe made Rebbes. You know what a Rebbe is? Reish Beis Yud. It's an acronym. Rosh Bnei Yisrael, the head of the Jewish people. The Rebbe deputized individuals to be the heads of world Jewry. Or, like the story with Gabriel Aram and the last dollars, the day before the Rebbe's stroke, the Rebbe called on each man, woman, and child on this planet to be the tzaddik. To be the tzaddik, to be the Rebbe. To be the world leader. It's a radical notion. It's a radical notion. And, 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 and yet, it was so much and continues to be so much the, the essence of the Rebbe's message. How many thousands of times did the Rebbe invoke the Talmudic dictum of shliach shal adam kemaisai? Few Hebrew words, but what does it mean? It means a person's emissary is as himself. And the Rebbe kept stressing this idea. It's a legalistic term. But the Rebbe kept stressing this idea, shliach shal adam kemeisei. And the Rebbe would add, mamash, literally. One's deputy, one's emissary, one's messenger is literally as himself. And it wasn't just the official shluchim, the emissaries, but every single member of this nation is a shliach, is an emissary of the Rebbe. What, what, what does that mean by the associative property, right? If A equals B and A equals C, so then B equals C, I don't remember, I don't remember algebra, but something like that. So basically, what is the Rebbe saying? What is the Rebbe saying? You, you just have to unpack the formula. The Rebbe is saying that every one of you is a Rebbe. I was speaking a few uh, weeks ago, maybe it was a month or two ago already, it was uh, this summer, at the um, Sea Kids Shabbaton. Sea Kids is this program where uh, it's for children, it's like a youth club at Chabad houses. And they have a, they, they, they had a, um, a tournament called, uh, what was it called? like a Jewish literacy quiz, like a spelling bee type thing. It was called Juq or something like that. And yeah, I think that's what it's called. Anyways, so it's like Jewish literacy. You, you learn basic Jewish concepts, and then you, you go into like a, a tournament. And then, anyways, they have the national tournament. It's like the national spelling bee, sort of. And at the, at the Shabbaton in the Poconos. So uh, they brought me along there because it was actually very smart. The kids who were coming on the Shabbaton to compete in the, in the national tournament, they got to bring their parents. So basically, these are kids who are not from very observant homes. And the parents are not necessarily so observant. 
but every parent, especially a Jewish parent, has nachas when their kid is competing and sit, sitting up on stage. So these parents, they came along because they wanted to be there to shep nachas from their kids who were competing in the competing in the juku. So basically, what it turned into was a Shabbaton for these parents. And uh, so that's, that was my job. They had people who knew how to deal with the kids. Trust me, I wasn't there to deal with the kids. Not my, not my uh, strong suit. But they brought me to deal with the parents, so, which was beautiful. Um, there was a, what do you call it, stump the rabbi session. And they had put out a shoebox, like a little shoebox in the lobby of the, of the retreat center. They put out a shoebox called uh, Stump the Rabbi. So up until Shabbos, you could write whatever you want on a card. You put it in the shoebox. And then Shabbos afternoon, we had a Stump the Rabbi session while the kids were off doing their activity. So the parents sat together with me, and I would pull these cards out of the box, and I'd read the question, and it stumped the rabbi. Whatever it says on the card, I'm forced to answer. So whatever, there were lots of different questions, different, different philosophical questions, practical questions, all types of questions. Pulling out the card, the next question says, when is Lubavitch going to get a new rabbi? Okay. It's not like I never heard the question before. When is Lubavitch going to get a new rabbit? So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a room full of these parents. These parents who are only there, remember, because their children are competing in this Jewish literacy quiz bowl, and they're coming to Shep Nachas. So I said to them, is your question, when is Lubavitch going to get a new Rebbe? Based on the premise, on the supposition that the Rebbe needs a successor. If so, if that is the premise of the question, you have to clarify what a question means before you can answer it. Because maybe, maybe, maybe the Rebbe doesn't need a successor. Who says? I mean, who's to define? Does the Rebbe have to be a living figure? Does the Rebbe not have to be? But let's say the premise of the question is that after his passing, there would have to be somebody living who would function in that in that role. So I asked them, is, is the premise of your question that there would have to be a living successor to fill those shoes and to function in that role? So they said, yeah. So I said, okay. So if that's the premise of the question, then my answer to you is that the Rebbe took great pains to groom a successor and to give a map for leadership, how this successor should guide world Jewry, and why don't you get to work? You're asking me who's the, who's the Rebbe's successor, and I'm saying, tag, you're it. And I, and I started off by talking to you about dollars. I was describing the dollar line, when people would come to the Rebbe to have that moment, that encounter, and how the Rebbe would give them a dollar. You know what the whole purpose of dollars? The stated purpose, I'm not making it up, the Rebbe said it explicitly, hundreds, maybe thousands of times. What was the purpose of giving somebody a dollar? Obviously, it became a keepsake, a souvenir, someone to hold on to it, had value to them because it, would, it reminded them of their encounter. Also, it has a certain kedusha, a certain holiness because it was given to them by the Rebbe. But on the simplest level, what was the transaction that was happening? You know? Yeah. To give tzedakah. Right. So in other words, to deputize you that here's a mitzvah, 
I have this dollar, let me use the right hand, I have this dollar to do the mitzvah. I'm not gonna do it, you're gonna do it. You become my hand in giving that dollar to tzedakah. Exactly, shliach mitzvah, an emissary for a mitzvah, 100%, exactly. And that was the stated purpose of the dollars. So what does that mean? That means every single man, woman, child who encountered the Rebbe, even if it was for a half a second, we get hung up on, oh, what was the conversation? What did the Rebbe say? What did they say back? That's icing on the cake. That's the icing on the cake. The cake is that even if it was a half a second interaction, what happened then is you got deputized. Tag, you're it. Go run with it. Shliach shal adam say, mamash, that the deputy, the messenger of a person, is that person, literally. And that's what that dollar did. So people are asking, who, you know, who's the Rebbe's successor? The Rebbe has millions of successors. And I would go even further to say, as long as I'm up here, you know, telling you how I see things, that uh, the Rebbe kept it in the family and passed on the leadership to his children. And that if you know anything, if you understand anything about the Rebbe, I want you to start with this. Let's stop talking about the Rebbe as communal leader or even a global leader as a public figure, that th those are nice dinner speeches. But you want to, you want to speak about it from a Hasidic point of view, from, from the actual teachings of the Rebbe, the way the Rebbe spoke about the Rebbe-Chosid relationship? I'm going to give you the raw, real version of it here. The Rebbe is a loving father. A father who teaches his sons and daughters to go into the family business. And what is the family business in the Lubavitcher Rebbe's family? Perfecting the entire world. And maybe if, if I could appeal to you with any with any suggestion it would be to ask you to entertain the notion that if you're here, if you're here today, obviously, inarguably, the Lubavitcher Rebbe has had an influence in your life. What's the proof? You're here today. And I don't know your whole backstory, and each one of us has a different journey how we got here. But the fact that you're here is because of some influence the Rebbe either directly or through one of his appointed emissaries, or through an appointed emissary of an appointed emissary, or through someone who was influenced or inspired by the Rebbe's teachings, however the chain of command works. But somehow you're here because the Rebbe did something. The Rebbe empowered someone. And I would like to ask you to start to meditate on your relationship with this person who has so much influence in your life, and realize that you want to know who the tzaddik is? The tzaddik is you. And I understand it's a very, it's a very daunting proposition. Hero worship is much more comfortable. It's much more comfortable to say that Rebbe was this great man. Very nice, very comfortable, safe distance. But to realize, no, the Rebbe is a loving father who has groomed us for greatness. Now you're getting personal. <laughs> you know, I don't know how well this will go over in English. I'm going to attempt it anyway. The punchline is in Yiddish, Hebrew, Yiddish combination. Probably going to be a disaster, but... If you know anything about me, I was never one to shy away from a joke that I know is going to bomb. That's just... Because I don't tell jokes to be funny. We tell jokes because they have something, they have a message. And it's not even a joke. It's a, it's a, it's a humorous anecdote. It's a Maise Shehoya. It's something that happened. In Lubavitch, in the actual town of Lubavitch, there were a couple of Bachram, a couple of yeshiva boys, 
who were not Chabad. They were Polish Abacharim. They came from the Polish strain of Hasidism. Now, I'm not going to get into a whole description, a background about how Chabad, the Russian Hasidim, differed from the Polish Hasidim. The majority of the Hasidim were Polish. But one thing I'll tell you. Remember I was mentioning before about like what's a Rebbe, what's the definition of a Rebbe, what, what should Freddie have done, you know, uh, go fear a tish, where they bring out a kogel. Okay, I was talking about shirayim. Basically there's a thing called shirayim. Shirayim is a Hebrew word which means leftovers. And what, is, what, what, what do they do? We don't do this in Chabad. It's not a Chabad thing at all. But in the Pelisher Chassidus, or, or, or groups of, of Hasidism, uh, they'll do a thing. The Rebbe sits at the head of the table, and they bring out, usually it's a kogel, it could be anything, and the Rebbe will take a piece of the kogel, and then after the Rebbe eats from the kogel, so everybody else dives in to eat from the shiraim, to eat from the leftovers, and it's supposed to bestow some type of holiness. Anyways, and it's a big thing. You'll see, you go to a, a, a tish of a, of a Pelashir Rebbe, and you'll see the people will dive for that, uh, for that kogel. Like literally, physically, just leap over rows of people to, to grab that kogel. Anyways, in Lubavitch, the actual town of Lubavitch, the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Rebbe, was sitting in his office and learning, studying Torah, and he wasn't too into food. He was into studying, but he had a mashadis, an attendant who used to bring him food, and I guess the arrangement was that not to bother him, there was a system where he'd leave it on the windowsill, and then the, the Rebbe Rishab would, uh, in turn, when he was done with it, he would leave it on the windowsill. So there was one of these situations where the Rebbe Rishab had you know, just barely picked at the meal, just took a little bit of it, he wasn't really interested in it, and then left the rest of it sitting on the windowsill that the attendant should come over and, and collect it. So while this was happening, a couple of these bachim, these Polish bachim, these Polish Hasidic boys, they saw the leftovers of the Rebbe sitting on the windowsill, <laughs> And they identified their opportunity here. We're going to get Shirayim in Chabad. It's not a thing. You know, there's, we don't do Shirayim in Chabad. But now we have an opportunity. We're going to do Shirayim in Chabad. Okay. So they snuck up to the windowsill. And they grabbed a little piece. And as they're about to scurry off, they look up and they see that Ebed Hashab is staring right at them. And he says to them, Bachram, he says, boys, you should know something. And here, here's, the, here's the untranslatable punchline. He says, by Yandrer, by others, meaning other Rebbes from other courts, is the Sharayim Zainer Mizakya. If you eat from their leftovers, it's Mizakya. It, it bestows, it confers merit. By Mir is dos Mechayim. By me, it confers obligation. It's, it's, very, it's a very rich pun. In, in, in legal discussions in the Talmud, we always talk about something is something a schus or is it a chiyuv? So to be mezakeh means to confer a, a right or a benefit, an advantage. To be mechayev means to confer some type of duty or debt, even could mean a debt. So basically, what was the Rebbe Rishab saying? He's saying, you, the choice is yours. You can eat from my leftovers. But if you think eating from my leftovers is like a, uh, I don't know, spiritual goodie bag, I just wanna, I want to, I want you to know what you're getting into. Before you click yes, I want you to know what the terms and conditions are. You're going to eat from this, and you, you are going to be indebted you're going to be put to work. You're going to have a job. And I think that's, as I said, probably the most essential idea in the Rebbe's teachings is this idea. 
See, the Rebbe was the Rebbe of this hemisphere. The Rebbe came from the hemisphere where 99% of Jewish history, from, from the Exodus to the Revelation at Sinai to most of life in the diaspora, it all happened with, you know, in proximity to the Holy Land or a couple hour flight from the Holy Land. Whether your great-great-grandparents are from Lithuania or from Morocco or from Yemen or from Poland, it all happened basically in the same area. And then there was this shift to what the Rebbe called the Chatzik Kadra Tachtain, the lower hemisphere of Eretz Yisrael, if the Holy Land is on the top, is the pole of holiness, so then there's the opposite pole, the polar opposite, that's, that's down here. The new world, the old world, the new world. And the Rebbe basically came down here and, and, and spoke about this idea that when you want to lift a building, you can lift a building, but you have to have leverage. If you lift it from the top, you pull off the roof. But if you get up under the foundation, then you can lift the whole thing. So the Rebbe spoke about the idea of coming down to the new world, coming down to America. It wasn't just because there was a Holocaust, World War II, the Rebbe and the Rebbetson were fleeing from the Nazis, so they had to escape. And the, that too, but on a deeper level, <clears throat> the Rebbe came to America because that's the place where he could get leverage, where he could lift up the whole universe. And, and what that means is a lot, of, a lot of traditional ideas, traditional classical Jewish ideas, suddenly became repackaged in very American terms. The marketing, just think about the marketing, the, the PR of Judaism. Loud, proud, not hiding, not cowering. That's a very American ideal. Another one of these American ideals is the rugged individualism. You know, the cowboy riding off into the sunset by himself, right? Rugged individualism, to a fault almost. Americans are an individualistic society as opposed to traditional societies which, were more, which are more collectivist, right? But America is about the individual. So what did it ever do? It took the American ideals and, and, and packaged good old-fashioned Judaism in those ideals. And not just to make it that people should be able to consume it and, 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 and relate to it. But as I was explaining, in order to lift the whole universe, to get that leverage. In other words, there was something needed in, in these Western values, in these American values, to translate old world Hasidism into new world thoughts and ideas in order to perfect the world and to bring Mashiach. And one of those ideas is the rugged individualism. The idea of go out, start a community, a rabbi and a rabbitson, go out with very little resources. Really, what do they have is they have idealism, they have a dream, and they just hit the ground running, and that's it. Go, go build it. Go build it. And by, in, by, by investing in this picture of rugged individualism, the paradox is you end up becoming the most devoted and selfless disciple. In other words, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a paradox, and it's a novelty, and I don't think it existed previously in history, but in order to be completely selflessly devoted to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, do you, know, do you know what you have to do? You have to go out and conquer the world. So by asserting the ego and the identity and, and the sense of conquest, that's how you actually become totally selflessly devoted. In other words, become the Rebbe. So what did the Rebbe do? The Rebbe democratized the office and the institution of Rebbe. Now, you're going to say to me, hold on a second. I know a guy who attempted to democratize the office and the institution of Rebbe. It's a Bible story. There was a guy who came to Moses and to Aaron, and he said, why do you guys act so holy? 
The entire nation is holy. We all stood at Sinai. So why do you guys have to have a special status? Only your brother gets to be high priest? This was Kairach. Kairach says this to Moshe and to Aaron. And we know he met a bitter end because of the mutiny that he launched. So he was clearly wrong. He was clearly wrong. You want to know how to read that Bible story through the lens of the Rebbe's teachings? This is how the Rebbe taught me to read this Bible story. Some people have good ideas, but they have bad timing. And if you are in the wrong time, you have to accept it, and you have to back off, and you have to wait for the right time. Kairach wanted to push an agenda which was not right for that time. But it doesn't mean that it's not right for any time. The vision of an entire nation, of an entire nation, who are lifted to the level of Moses, that will occur in the times of Mashiach. And in fact, not only it will occur, it has precedent because it's something that did occur momentarily. But the precedent exists. The precedent exists. What's the precedent? And this, again, I'm getting this from the Rebbe. The Rebbe points out on the verse in scripture where Moses is preparing the nation for the revelation at Sinai. So God tells Moses to tell the people, You should be for me a kingdom of priests. There's a class called Kohanim, a Kohen. That's a certain class, and it has halachic parameters to who is a Kohen and what, those, what, what the duties of, an, of the Kohen are. But on a spiritual level, on a conceptual level, God tells Moses, tell the people that you should be for me a nation of priests. So that means irrespective of one's tribe, whether Kohen, Levi, Yisroel, righteous converts, every Jew is a Kohen. A nation of priests. And the Rebbe points out that the Baal HaTurim, one of the mainstay commentators of the Bible, the Baal HaTurim, says, Kohanim G'doylim, that when God told Moses, tell the people, get ready to become a nation of priests, he meant a nation of high priests. So Kairach got burned for pushing that that should happen in actuality. Meaning from a halachic standpoint, he wanted everyone to operate, to function as a high priest. And that's, at least at that time, was not possible. But the concept is a great concept. A whole nation of priests, not only priests, high priests, a nation of high priests. And that's, and by the way, I said it happened momentarily. So how long did it last? Until the sin of the golden calf, and then the status was lost. So for a short time, we were in that space. But the point is, there's precedent, and that's not just where we come from. That's the goal. That's where we're headed for. They say that during the Yom Kippur War, Golda Meir was going back and forth talking to Nixon. And at one point, he got annoyed with her that she had chutzpah. She's from a tiny little nation. He's from the superpower. So uh, he says, you know who you're talking to here? I mean, uh, I'm, I am the president of 200 million citizens. At that time, in the early 70s, the population of the United States was 200 million people, thereabouts. So Nixon tells Golda Meir, you know, you're talking to, I'm, I'm, I'm the president of 200 million citizens. And Golda says, you know who you're talking to? 
I'm the prime minister of five million prime ministers. <laughs> you, you go try to be in charge of Jews, right? Everyone's a prime minister. But there's a truth to that. There's an underlying truth to that. That we are a kingdom of priests, not just priests, high priests. And so that status was dormant for thousands of years. Moses alluded to the notion of it coming to fruition, but as a theoretical. There's a story in the book of Numbers where a couple of guys start prophesizing. And Joshua, the devoted disciple of Moses, comes to him and says, hey, these two guys, they, uh, they're going into competition with you. Should I get rid of them? And Moses tells Joshua, no, I would love it if everyone could be doing this. Halavai, if only, if only. But he said it as an if only. The Lubavitcher Rebbe came along at the eve of the perfection of our world and started to push the agenda which was necessary for the perfection of this world which was to deputize every single member of the nation and to tell you, you are the tzaddik, you are the Rebbe, you are the leader of world Jewry. You know, during World War II, Truman used to have a sign on his desk, the buck, the buck stops here, right? Because there's an expression, passing the buck. Passing the buck means you, you, you shirk your responsibilities, you just throw it onto somebody else, not my problem anymore. So he used to have a sign on his desk, the buck stops here, meaning, <laughs> remember in the Three Stooges? You know what I'm going to say, right? Mo would slap Larry, and then Larry would slap Curly, and then Curly would look for somebody to slap, and there was nobody to slap. <laughs> so this is it. We're at the end of history. Not in a, an apocalyptic way. We're at the end of history as we know it and at the verge of the beginning of real reality. Things are about to get really, really good. Really good. But in order for them to get really good, each one of us has to step up into the model of leadership as the consummate quintessential leader of our generation has defined it. So the leader of our generation defined leadership as an individual responsibility of every single member of this nation and, in fact, as mentioned earlier, not just the Jewish nation, but that every single human being should see himself, herself, as the tzaddik. It's a powerful concept. And like I said, it's, it's a lot more demanding than conventional hero worship. The Rebbe doesn't need your admiration. The Rebbe needs you to do your job. <laughs> and if you were born into this world and placed into a circumstance, which is sort of a truism, right? We all were. That means that you have a unique job, a unique calling to prepare that little portion of this world that you fell into, to prepare that little place for Mashiach. And in so doing, in perfecting your little corner of this world, collectively we're perfecting the entire world. I'm not even sure if I should tell this. I should tell it? There was a guy going around 770 saying he was Mashiach. This is back in the 70s. 770 Eastern Parkway, the Rebbe Shul. So this is back in the 70s. He was going around, some French guy, and he was telling everybody, I'm here, I've arrived to redeem the world, I'm the Messiah. He was not well. 
he signed up for Yechidus, for a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the Rebbe. And they didn't want to give it to him. But the Rebbe let everybody come in. So Rabbi Groner was very nervous about it. Because the guy wasn't stable. And what is he going to do? He's going to come in and start telling the Rebbe, I'm Mashiach. So Rabbi Groner found a bacher, a French bacher, one of the yeshiva boys. He pulled him out of the study hall and he said, listen, I don't speak French. The Rebbe spoke French fluently. The Rebbe lived in France. This guy, this crazy guy, is going to start speaking in French to the Rebbe. I'm not going to know what he says. I need you to listen at the door. And if he starts talking crazy stuff, tell me and I'm, I'll pull him out. So this Bacher reports the conversation. What happened? The guy starts talking to the Rebbe. And I don't know how far they got into the conversation. But he says it. Je suis Mashiach. I'm Mashiach. So the Rebbe says to him, again, totally calm, totally, not missing a beat. Do you keep Shabbos? The guy says, no. The Rebbe says, how can Mashiach not keep Shabbos? <laughs> then the Rebbe says, you put on tefillin every day? The guy's like, no. The Rebbe says, how could Mashiach not put on tefillin every day? He says, you eat kosher? Not all the time. He says, how could Mashiach not keep kosher? <laughs> one by one, he goes through this. So here's what I'm going to tell you something. It's not the worst thing to stand up to say, I've come to redeem the world. Somebody's got to do it. But now take a look at your life. Take a look. What's the next mitzvah you can do? What's the next thing you can take on to step into your role, to be who the Lubavitcher Rebbe sees you as? That's it. That's all there is. Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and toracafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.